Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. I'm Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. I'm so excited to announce, AJ, play that music. It's a nighttime recording. (laughs) (laughs) Time for bed. (laughs) Time for... (laughs) See you in my dreams. (laughs) Well, I'm going to be honest. I feel like I've lived like eight days today. I woke up at 6 a.m. I went to New Jersey, which of course meant I had to cross through Secaucus Junction. Yeah. Jump in the warp pipe. Jump jump in the warp pipe. Visit the island from Lost. Hang out with that polar bear and smoke monster. <laughs> 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, baby. Um, I saw you posted a picture of Secaucus Junction on, on threads. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine commented, I haven't gotten to this part of Alan Wake 2 yet. Uh, and that, <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. So you know who you are. That's really good. That's really yeah. good. <laughs> uh, that's a bit for the people who have listened to all of this podcast yeah actually you know what before before we even uh talk about video games i want to shout out two things real quick number one is the instagram which we do have i just saw somebody in the discord recently mentioned that they didn't know we had an instagram we have an instagram and it's just a big wall of all of the episode art we've ever made which is it's a nice collage yeah Yeah. uh so that's instagram.com slash into the cast you can go check that out number two i just always think it's worth shouting out but we don't do it enough uh, at the top of the show, we do have a Patreon and that Patreon has a whole second show that's called Any Percent, where every every week, Steve and I, on Mondays, comes out on Mondays, every week, Steve and I have 10 minutes or less to answer a listener submitted prompt. And you and I just recorded one that will already be out, I guess, by the time this episode comes out. But it's just about like how we prep for goatee season, um, yeah. which I just thought would be fun. So I just wanted to shout that out. Totally. Yeah, that's available to anyone who uh, is back in the show for $5 or more. But we do have a tier for $1 that actually gives you access to everything thing we made for patreon up until uh the 3ds episode which we released this march that was this year jesus oh my um, god yeah <laughs> uh so there's actually a lot of stuff there so if you like want to feel it out before you commit to five whatever you're comfortable with obviously uh there is a lot there for dollar patrons as well yeah so thank you to anyone who's able to do that you can hear our uh commentary track for final fantasy 7 advent children <laughs> the movie. i know a couple people who told me they listened to that without watching the movie and that I actually got a little scared. I'm like, I'm, I'm, thank you for supporting me financially, but like, what are you doing? <laughs> Maybe it's high art to listen to that and not see Advent Children and just like have to guess what we're laughing at, you know? Sounds to me like Cloud's pulled out his Motorola Razor again. Yeah. Honestly, though, had a great time with that film. I was expecting a train wreck and I, I had a great time. I think it was fun. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, games. We got some big games today. So let's hear it. What's up, Brennan? <laughs> oh, yeah, not much. How about you? I forgot that it's it's something you're bringing, and I was like, all right, so Xenosaga 2. Oh, wait, no, it's not me right now. You haven't made it to Xenosaga 2 yet. No, I'm very much still on oh, episode okay. one. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, I, I, would, I would open with that confidently if that was the case. <laughs> no introductions. I'm still waiting on my eBay purchased episode 3. I don't even have episode 2 yet. I'm, I'm waiting to see how much I actually like the trilogy before I commit to the bad one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> is it the bad one yeah no one likes to oh okay i'm sure so before the person likes to dms me i know some people probably like it but it's not it's not as well regarded as the other two you know it's gonna be me it's gonna be you yeah you love the weird sequels yeah in like five or six years when i finally play <laughs> yeah exactly when they when they remake them for the nintendo switch speaking of remade rpgs for the nintendo switch that's right i'm playing super mario rpg Woohoo! 
if you asked me a year ago, I would have never believed it. Uh, I, I, but true. Yeah. <laughs> that was your Titus this, voice. <laughs> this is my story and Mario's. We're going to team up against the Goombas. <laughs> Um, we did a bonus for Thousand Year Door also this year, yeah. um, like right before we took our summer break and with our friend Will, uh, it was a great time. I always love having Will on. Also the composer of our theme song. Thank you, Will. Shout out to Will. But like whenever we cover Mario RPGs, it's just like clear, like I just always, I, I don't know if this is true, but just following the history of like Super Mario RPG, Paper Mario, Mario and Luigi, I just feel like Nintendo is so precious with their brand, specifically with Mario, that I just would have guessed they wanted all of those series to kind of like die and, and kind of be <laughs> forgotten, you know? Yeah. For those who don't know like what these are, so it all started with Super Mario RPG which came out for Super Nintendo. It was a collaboration between Squaresoft at the time, so they were called, and Nintendo. And it was very much like, what if we made a Final Fantasy set in the Mushroom Kingdom? Uh, and it was amazing. It was a really cool collaboration. I think it was, I don't, like, I, that came out when I was pretty young, so I don't quite remember, like, what the reception was at the time. I think people liked it, but I also think that was so early in the, like, IP crossover stuff mm -hmm. that I think, there wasn't quite like it, we weren't in Marvel vs. Capcom 2 era yet where yeah. it was like a fun and exciting thing when it happened or even Kingdom Hearts 1. Right. And we weren't where we are now. Where we're like, please, no more. Let everything be in its own universe. I don't want crossovers. Right. I'm IP'd out. Uh, so I think there was maybe like maybe a little too soon, but it's still like incredible game. And it kind of paved the way for Paper Mario to be like a hit, in my opinion. You mm. know, Paper Mario was Nintendo. I think it was in development as Super Mario RPG 2 and then eventually just became yes. its own series. And then once Paper Mario, which was initially an RPG like Super Mario RPG, went in more of a platformer action game direction, the Mario and Luigi series kind of spun off from that and was more of an RPG. Um, so it's weirdly complicated history for, for games with Mario in the title. Um, and <laughs> you and I love these games, and I feel like there's a very passionate and loyal fan base for like this specific thread of, of RPGs. Absolutely. Because I think, one, they're really unique in tone. I think if I had to compare them to like another series, strangely enough, the one that comes to mind is like Earthbound or the Mother games where yeah. like... While those are definitely much more surreal and in the case of Mother 3, much darker, they both feel satirical of RPGs, but they also have these fully realized fictional worlds that are atypical of a usual like medieval fantasy or a sci-fi, you know, science fantasy setting. Mm -hmm. And it also just shows what can happen when you're not too precious with your IP, especially in a case like Thousand Year Door, where like they really just make a fully realized world. Like you could you could take the Mario brand off of that game and it would still work. You know, like nothing about it is relying on the knowledge of Mario. There isn't a story to Mario, at least usually not. So these games are all very special, and I assume they were gonna die a slow death off camera. <laughs> so when Nintendo announced that like we're getting a remaster of Thousand Year Door. And they have remade Super Mario RPG. I'm, I'm just really grateful that that's the case. The timing on this is so weird. Yeah. Don't you think? Because like Paper Mario and the Origami King comes out generally, generally disliked by, I think, most people. You and I had some positive things to say about it. I still think, you know, we kind of... Lukewarm me overall, I yeah. think. For, I think for we liked people. it more than most, but sure. still critical of it. I think for all the reasons that most people are critical of it. And I, for me, at least after that came out, was like, I think that's it. I think, I think like they're probably not going to make any it more. It seemed of these. like the last chance for the series. Yeah. 
And now with with the announcement of Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door getting remade, which is wild by itself, it feels to me like Nintendo is kind of just checking out to see like, okay, do people want us to go back to this? Like, is this that's kind of the thing that the fandom has rallied around for years and years is like Thousand Year Door was the last quote unquote, the last good one. I think some people would argue that what was it? Super Paper Mario on the Wii maybe like had some had some tendencies that kind of aligned with Thousand Year Door. But for the most part, everyone's aligned like Thousand Year Door was the one this series has kind of lost its way ever since then. And it sounds to me, hypothetically, if you can ever pin Nintendo down on like literally anything at all and and you just like assume that maybe them releasing something is market research a little bit, that Thousand Year Door is like testing the waters to see if they should go back to that. Never in my wildest, wildest fantasies would I have ever expected them to dig up Super Mario RPG of all things outside of just putting it on the Super Nintendo Switch Online Collection. At most, yeah. yeah that's and, like, and that would be like the expansion pack tier. That would, yeah, that would be like a, a holy shit mic drop moment, like j- just by itself. Literally just like, guess what? We talked to the 4 billion people we needed to talk to to figure out the fucking rights for this thing. Yeah. And now it's available on Switch Online. And yet here we are with literally a full, like top to bottom remake visually of the game, a bunch of quality of life improvements. It's by Art Piazza, I think are like golden children uh, who are definitely <laughs> older than us. Our golden parents. Yes. Our golden geese, Art yes. Piazza, how about that? Laying the golden eggs of Dragon Quest 4, 5, and 6 on the Nintendo DS, like maybe some of the best remakes of all time. Yeah. Making the Super Mario RPG remake for Nintendo Switch. What a weird reality we live in that this is real. I feel like part of me is when a remake comes out and the original is like impossible to get, it rubs me the wrong way a little bit, except for this team. I feel like it's like (laughs) Blue Point and Arpiazza are are really I think they deserve an award for <laughs> for figuring out how to make remakes also act as game preservation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And I honestly I think I think this is one of those interesting scenarios where like although it's definitely towing the line of what you could consider to be game preservation, I do think that there are some instances in which remaking a game and adding just a couple quality of life things here and there just to make it a little bit more approachable to like a newer video game audience is actually better in some ways than just giving them the original, like just slapping the original Super Nintendo game on the Switch online shop. That would have been cool and great. And for people who love this game, I think that would, you know, that would be enough. But the idea of not only pleasing all the people who love that game, but also expanding the audience and creating, I, I'm sorry, to, I'm going to steal this from you. Uh, you you said this off mic and I'm, I'm going to steal your joke. I'm sorry. But creating a whole new generation of people who are going to ask for Gino in the next Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> like that... That kind of rocks. Like I'm yeah. I'm honestly in favor of that. And for me, somebody who has weirdly been playing the lineage of Mario RPGs completely out of order in like maybe the most confusing way possible. Yeah, you had like the anti-machete order for what was your first? Um, I guess it was Superstar Saga when we did the Game Boy Advance episode. That's a good first. I think the Mario and Luigi games are, are very overlooked, and they're actually, I think, not a bad other than them being on consoles that are not immediately accessible, they are otherwise 
qualifies like a good intro to this style of game. I think there's a video on our YouTube channel of me playing Super, uh, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga for the first time, like booting it up just uh, for like the Excel spreadsheet of figuring out if that was going to make my top 10 in the Game Boy Advance thing and just yelling into the microphone that I was so mad that you hadn't made me play it earlier. Because <laughs> it's like it was so extremely my shit. And I was just asking myself, I was like, is this what all of them are like? Like, have I been missing out on this for all these years? And uh, the answer was yes. I'd say they're all similar, but I do think Mario and Luigi, for whatever reason, they're way funnier. Like all these games have a good sense of humor, but Mario and Luigi games, like they they are comedy first. Yes. And I think that rocks. It also makes them feel distinct from like the Paper Mario series, which I think the first Paper Mario feels kind of the most like a Dragon Quest where it feels mm. kind of like cozy and familiar. Yeah. And then I think Thousand Year Door becomes much more like satirical and kind of its own thing. Totally. Mario RPG is so I haven't played the remake yet, just for the record, but I have played the original and they're fairly one to one. And that game has such a unique sense of atmosphere. Like you really feel the the final fantasy of it, especially early yes. on like going into the castle and just the way like towns are designed and like how to navigate the map in the turn-based combat like if Paper Mario is like Mario first RPG second I think it's flipped here yeah you know I think this is like the Mario is more of the the aesthetic than anything yes yeah I yeah I, I think for me having now played a bunch of Mario and Luigi games maybe all of them at this point and dipping into again most if not all of the Paper Mario games actually I have I still haven't played the Wii one that'll happen one day i always saw super mario rpg as like just the kind of archaic like first attempt at these kinds of things and it was always like i'll check it out one day for an episode but i don't know how much i'm really gonna like it fuck is steven <laughs> super mario rpg is the best of them baby like <laughs> oh yeah this this game is incredible <laughs> it's so good so like look not even just the the art piazza of it all like they've done a really good job i think of taking what is a pretty crunchy art style which is great i mean like go look at screenshots and and video yeah, and, i love the sort of weird claymation look of it yeah, yeah it rocks it's really cool yeah but they've they've done some really great work just taking those sprites and and reimagining them in a like fully 3d kind of modern 2023 space it almost feels a little bit like the Link's awakening remake minus yeah. the tilt shift blurriness to it which i just think like really works the game is also extremely funny in ways I wasn't expecting and I think you I mean you just called this out with Paper Mario but it just feels so much like Dragon Quest for me like it does like at least the way the game opens you know you have a whole bunch of stuff with a giant sword falling out of the sky and into a castle etc cetera, etc cetera. but as soon as you kind of bounce out into your first town as you mentioned walking into it I was like damn man this is like Art Piazza's Dragon Quest games all over again like I just feel yeah. like I'm right back at home I, I think for me it just it just has the exact kind of atmosphere I have been looking for and didn't even realize I was missing, I think, from these games, because I, I you just put it perfectly like a lot of a lot of the Paper Mario and especially the further into Paper Mario you get. But definitely all the Mario and Luigi stuff like they very much are Mario first RPG second, as you just said. And I think this game taking a little bit more of like a we're going to just do a kind of by the books Final Fantasy set up you know like just hitting the beats one by one introduce a villain right from the top okay now you're gonna go to your first town you're gonna figure out how much it costs to sleep in an inn you're gonna get your first member of your party they're gonna be real weird and then you're gonna go out and like fight a boss in the sewers it's like hell yeah man like sign me up for that and i and i don't know if this is a situation where i am 
very contrary to what you may believe if your last episode you listened to was the very first one i have become well versed in rpgs <laughs> over the yeah. past couple of years and i think weirdly knowing that much context about what final fantasy has done and what dragon quest has done what all of these different kinds of games have done really just proves how like subversive and funny and interesting and weird this game is you know, even at the time, like looking at Super Mario RPG, like when it came out on the Super Nintendo against its contemporaries, like the Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy games that came out around then, this game is still like firing on all cylinders as an incredible RPG all its own. And it's also kind of like dunking on them a little bit and dunking on the tropes a little bit. Oh, yeah. And I love that. Like, I love that this Nintendo game made by Square Enix, sorry, Squaresoft, is so interested in looking in the mirror on both fronts, on both the Square front and the Nintendo front. And just being like, isn't it funny that you always go to the sewers in these games? Let's just put you right in the sewers immediately. Also, Mario goes down pipes all the time. What's down there? What's going on in those pipes? The original came out in 96. And that's like in the thick of this genre, like forming. Yeah. Like you. That's after just, Final Fantasy VI and right before Final Fantasy VII, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So it's like, yeah, Final Fantasy VI, I believe, is 95, if I'm not mistaken. And then seven was 97. And then, oh, yeah. Oh, you have the box. I have the box for Final Fantasy. So it doesn't say on here. It's just amazing to me that like a, 1994. it reminds me a lot of like, this is maybe a weird parallel, but like I remember Clickhole came out like a year after sort of BuzzFeed was like growing in popularity. <laughs> they like so quickly found an angle to satirize what was popular. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same about Super Mario RPG where it's like, you know, it, it is coming out in the thick of like this classic era of RPGs yeah. and, and, and is already aware of kind of how they work. And I think it's not like it's not a satire in the sense of like, like you said, it's it, it's it's not thumbing its nose at the genre at all. If anything, it has a reverence for it. I think all good satire kind of loves what it's mocking yeah you know in terms of making sort of like a jokier rpg like this like i think earthbound is the same way where earthbound Mm. feels like what if an rpg was just like you know a kid in his town fighting hippies um yeah but also has this like has dramatic weight to it and has like real emotion to it as well. Um, that's like kind of a harder game to, I feel like that game came from space. So it's like harder to <laughs> put into words how that works. But yeah, I think like Mario RPG is simultaneously not taking itself too seriously. It realizes kind of how silly the idea is, mm-hmm. but I think by taking the pressure off by kind of being aware of that, it, it also ends up just being great on its own terms. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think going back to the, like the Nintendo of it all and the square of it all you know as as you go and play paper mario the first one you just see a bunch of nintendo stuff like twisted and contorted into just being like funny weird versions of everything you know like here's a bomb wearing a hat etc etc you know paper mario in the thousand year door uh here's a goomba who like is a know-it-all who's great yeah and then over the course of that franchise the further in you get the more nintendo is pulling back the reins on the ability to like get weird with its characters it's like no bombs can wear hats anymore unfortunately goombas no clothes at all no personalities they're just goombas very sad alternatively i was i was going into this game kind of expecting it to be like all right man like if paper mario is like oh let's get weird with this super mario rpg's got to be the wild west and it's kind of weirdly not like it's not even in the west it's a completely different place entire like super mario rpg all of the like characters that join your party all the enemies you fight the bosses in particular all feel just like ripped out of a final fantasy 
fantasy game that was never made, which is I think is the weirdest part of this. Like it really is like Kingdom Hearts. Like it's like seeing Donald yes. and Goofy next to a heartless bot, like next to Ansem, you know, like it's so <laughs> it's so weird to see like the, the boss that I was talking about in the sewers is like a four eyed yellow dog with like pink lightning bolts all over and it just looks so much like a final fantasy boss you would have fought in that era of final fantasy specifically it's so interesting that nintendo was okay with this but i think they were just so interested in having an rpg and expanding mario as a brand that they were like let's just give it to the people who are gonna make it work and like just trust them to do a good job and uh, do a good job they did but playing it now and knowing that nintendo is like okay with releasing this again in 2023 knowing how they feel about that kind of uh twisting and contorting of their characters and their intellectual property is such a weird circle to square right now and i think that's one of the reasons i i feel a little bit like elated every time i sit down to play this game a little bit like i just keep sitting down and being like i i can't believe that this was real in 1996 and i really can't believe that somebody at nintendo green lit this again so i i, I double checked this i had a hunch this was the case but you mentioned uh our, our producer aj was streaming the remake the other day and you had mentioned in chat that it reminded you of kingdom hearts even just in the enemy design yeah sort of looking like the heartless and the battle music also sounds so much like the battle music in kingdom hearts yeah and the music in the first town too i was just like damn this is traverse town so i looked it up and same composer it's the legendary no yoko shimomura yeah yoko shimomura who makes tons of music final fantasy games xenoblade games full circle mario and luigi wow. but she was the composer for both super mario rpg and kingdom hearts hats off i'm not even wearing a hat but if i was wearing one i would definitely take it off. <laughs> i just had I, I was like i have a hunch that she's worked on both games actually you don't know audio medium i just took my hat off <laughs> i don't have to tell you what's happening i was wearing a hat it's got a sloth on it i just took my sloth hat off but i do think there's a connection there beyond just having you know shared talent like Kingdom Hearts 1 is also this frankly bizarre combination that ended up working way better than I think even the people working on the game expected. Yeah. But like it does, I think the secret ingredient of that game working, at least in the first one, was like there is a uniqueness. Like it, it is pulling from Final Fantasy and Disney, but there are original characters. There's all the enemies are like an original creation. And it ends up feeling like I, I often... There's a part of me that forgets Disney is is part of Kingdom Hearts because I think mm. of it as its as its own series, even though the pitch of it was like Hercules will fight Sephiroth or whatever, you know, like <laughs> and it's it's because it's just a piece of it. It just that's just where you happen to go. Like the Disney stuff is just the different towns you visit in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um and I think the Mario RPG, it's not a direct collaboration in terms of IP, but it is in terms of like talent and design. Yeah. Uh, which I think still ends up creating something that feels wholly unique. Yeah. I, uh, yes, absolutely. I, fe I feel like we got to do a kingdom hearts bonus episode one day. I think so too. I, uh, maybe just the first one. I'd be really interested to just play through all the first one again. You and I, I mean, before <laughs> early in our show, like leading up to three coming out, we had revisited <laughs> I played one and he played two. Yeah. And I, I mean, those games are still great. I also really like Birth by Sleep. Yeah. And I enjoyed, uh, what was the one on DS? Uh, 356 over two days. Yeah. I also enjoyed that one too. So I love that game. Yeah. The thing about Kingdom Hearts is like you either, yeah, either has to just be like do the first one or you have to do all of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, but I, I would love to revisit those games. Yeah. I have a, I have a bit, I have a big theory. I'll, I'll just say this. I think, I think one of the things that makes Kingdom Hearts work this is a teaser for an episode that'll come out in like 
four years. But I, I think what, the thing that makes that franchise work, and specifically the first one, is there is like an underlying, almost subconscious, emotional core to like every Disney movie, every di- animated Disney movie that's good, and every like Final Fantasy game just in general. And those those two things weirdly are linked. And I don't even know if the two executives in that elevator in Japan who decided to greenlight that game knew that when they said yes to making that game. But man, did Nomura get it. Yeah, I mean, I could see an FF6 pixelated version of the opening of Aladdin so clear. Right? Like yes. the, the thief with the heart of gold, you know, running from guards. Like you know it's what per- I mean? Like it's just archetypal storytelling in a sense. But I think you're right. There is like a weird shared emotion and like uh, a shared interest in telling certain kinds of stories. Yeah, there's like, yeah, there's like the caveman version of, of your psyche sitting around the campfire <laughs> hearing somebody else tell a story. That activates yeah. when you're playing a Final Fantasy or or uh, watching a, an animated Disney movie. Uh, exactly. Very interesting. Anyway, Super Mario RPG is available on the Nintendo Switch right now. It's been remade. I would recommend playing it. I'm loving it. And I've been a little bit back and forth. Uh, as you mentioned, AJ, our producer, has been uh, streaming the game on our Twitch channel. Uh, it's also available on our YouTube at this point. So you can go watch it there. But they mentioned, because they, they've also played the original, that they like missed some of the sprites. I've been kind of back and forth on playing the original or continuing to play the remake um i think i'll probably dip into the original one day but i just think the remake is such a special thing and i just i'm just so amazed that nintendo said yes to it i know i've said that like 10 times already but i'm gonna say it again i just am amazed that they made it it sounds like why would they be against remaking a mario game but like (laughs) the fact that we're having this conversation like the fact that they remade this game is maybe two notches more reasonable than mother three getting remade yes you know like it's that level of like Nintendo, I thought, didn't want to touch this. Yes. <laughs> the next step is Xenosaga, but you know, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, Nintendo's going to remake Xenosaga. Yeah, <laughs> we bought Cosmos, uh, the right to the name and the robot. I mean, hey, hey, they sure did buy Monolith. So that's true. That's true. It's that, not that, big. Yeah, that was, that was starting happens. as a bit, but that, oh shit. <laughs> it's, I mean, man. <laughs> Super Mario RPG is available on the Nintendo Switch. You can go check it out. I would recommend it. And uh, I don't know what you're talking about if you're going online and saying you don't like the box art. Box art is beautiful. All right. That's it for this segment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, cool. Why don't we take a break and talk about more games? Bye-bye. See ya. Hello. We're back. Hello. I have uh, two independent games I'd like to bring to the show this week. Okay. Uh, I've been pl- I've been playing two games uh, that I have been enjoying a whole bunch. I think both of them and the reason I'm bringing them both up together, at least at the top here, is I think both of them are kind of going after kind of like takes on genres that you and I know very well. And I think you and I have specifically on the show bristled against some games that are trying to do these things in mm. the past. And and I just kind of want to talk about why they're succeeding a little bit. Yeah, it sounds great. So the first one, disclaimer, we both received code for this. I immediately swerved on this. So we both received a code for this for PlayStation 5 and PC. I immediately swerved and then just bought it myself on the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> Silly me. But it's called The Last Faith. Uh, and it's a uh, game that is... Stop me if you've heard of this one before. It's a side-scrolling Metroidvania with Dark Souls influences. Mm. Um, you know, it's very, it's very like, you know, it's going after a Hollow Knight thing. It reminds me a lot of Blasphemous and Blasphemous 2, which is the game I just brought up. It honestly, I think 
it's funny if you go look at like the team that's marketing this game in particular, like they they're like very chummy with the blasphemous marketing team because oh, they're, cool. they're kind of going after a really similar thing, even from a pixel art perspective. Like there are a lot of like really close up cutscenes of like absolutely immaculate, unbelievably detailed pixel art that is like very grotesque and weird in different ways. I think I think blasphemous is going after a kind of like what if Elden Ring was more rooted in Catholicism angle which i think is like really interesting in terms of an aesthetic and like they've created a really cool world and i really love blasphemous but the last faith in particular is really trying to be more bloodborne inspired yeah i mean if you just go look at like any of the key art for this game it just really does look like they wanted to do like a really cool 2d side-scrolling bloodborne which i think is the kind of thing where like you and I in the past, like I mentioned, have have, I think, come down kind of hard on games that are doing this kind of thing because they kind of either don't get the Metroidvania side right or they don't get the Souls influence right. Or it feels really derivative or it feels really derivative. Like, yeah, like you, you and I, you and I, I think um, we, we had an episode a long time ago that was called uh, Bonfires and Fog Walls. That was like, here, here's the worst instinct you can take from playing Dark Souls and seeing its success <laughs> and wanting to make another one is like, we got to put a bonfire and we got to put a fog wall before every boss. Yeah. You know? and, and I want to be clear, too. Like, I think there's nothing wrong with pursuing something that is popular. I, I've said it before, like we wouldn't have made this podcast otherwise. Yeah, like right. uh, two people talking about video games, not necessarily <laughs> a unique show millennial dudes you don't have to be well versed yeah right yeah, just, no, just uh, keep going just keep going uh you don't <laughs> my brain was quick, like don't quick, engage quick, don't look back don't look say back. no to this one don't look uh, back don't look it in the eyes <laughs> how did the show end i don't remember <laughs> i blocked it out um what show i think that you don't have to be well versed in games to kind of feel while you're playing something if like the inspiration was like authentic or if it was like chasing a fad, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. And that's, I think what makes hollow Knight so great. Hollow Knight came out at a time where it was still like a very popular style. Like it was still going after a very popular style of game, Yeah, right. but feels so unique and is now one of the games, other games are trying to model themselves after. Mm -hmm. So I think like there's totally room for success in there. I just think it has to be coming from an authentic place. And it sounds like in the case of both of these games, it very much is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the last faith, I think the the reason I wanted to bring it up to you in particular, uh, and the reason that I think it's working for me is it actually is answering a lot of the critiques I have about Castlevania specifically. Like I know, I know when you look at it on the surface, it very much looks like it's trying to be kind of like a 2d side scrolly bloodborne. But what it actually feels like it's trying to replicate to me is like, what if we took the move set and the way you maneuver throughout the world in Symphony of the Night and just modernize that and just like had the most beautiful pixel art you could possibly imagine? I think on top of that, you have, you know, marrying it with the aesthetic of Bloodborne, which is just kind of a match made in heaven in, in my eyes. Like, I, yeah. you know, you could look at any Souls game, Bloodborne in particular, and just say like, yeah, that's like what a 3D Castlevania or a 3D Metroidvania would look like. And that's how it would function, right? Like you're, you're running around these spaces. They're all linking back and forth. You're getting new things and finding new pathways that allow you to kind of traverse the space better. Uh, you're better equipped, et cetera, et cetera. Things that were easy, things that were harder now easy. You have, you know, ladders that are giving you shortcuts, whatever. But I do think that there is a little bit of a pocket, at least in my eyes, of really just kind of going after Castlevania, just like straight up going after Castlevania. Because I I think a couple of the other games that you and I have played that have kind of been like riffs on what Castlevania are, are going for such kind of like, I don't want to say out there, but just like such different avenues in terms of the aesthetic they're going after. I I was thinking of uh, Lodos War 
in particular. Oh yeah, Dude Lit and Wonder Labyrinth. Yeah. That game was awesome. It was yeah. awesome. You know, but that's yeah. like really going after like, okay, Castlevania, but everything's really high fantasy, you know? Yeah. That was cool and that worked for that game. And I really, I really enjoyed that experience. And it was combat centric as well. Yes. But what what I what I think uh The Last Faith has has really nailed for me is like taking the the aesthetic of Bloodborne and, and just kind of like merging it on top of Symphony of the Night really is just like chocolate and peanut butter in some ways. Like it it just melds so well. And to be clear, it's not just like ripping off Bloodborne. Uh, it, it You know, it's definitely like using that as one of its influences. But as you and I have said a billion times on this show, the more influences you start to pull in, I think the more unique it becomes. And this game to me has come out the other end and become really unique in the way it's not only exploring Metroidvanias, but also exploring exploring like what being a souls like means. I, I think one of the things that they get really right in terms of the symphony of the night aspect is like the different weapons that you can equip in this game. Like not, not to yeah. go so into like specifics, uh, you know, paragraph 10 of a, a review or something, but like, I just, I just think the, the weapons that you can equip just change the game in such a specific way that like every single one is worth seeking out and trying, at least that I found so far. Like I, I have the original sword that I started with. You get guns, like you, do in Bloodborne, but they also like in Castlevania Symphony of the Night in particular, at least one of my favorite parts of Symphony of the Night, you get all these like various super weird spells that are just like super fun to use and just allow you to like run through a bunch of enemies in a way that I think you needed to be a little bit more careful about earlier. So that's really working for me. Yeah. But, but I think one of the things that is like really clicking with me and I think it is accomplishing on a better level than a lot of the Souls likes I've played is the world feels interconnected, not because it like literally is interconnected, but because they just allow you to fast travel between all the different points that you unlock. Like anytime you find a save room, you can just fast travel to another save room whenever you want. And what that means is like in Hollow Knight, they allow you to just pick up all these side quests and then kind of chase them down of your own volition and just make your way back to those places whenever you want. So like you can go off the beaten path and just kind of hop into new spaces um, and and like just progress the main campaign if you want. Like it's, it's very clear what you need to be doing in the game but alternatively you know you meet like a weird woman who speaks in riddles outside of a, an old mansion you can go chase down the weird ring that she's looking for if you want to and bring it back to her before you do anything else and i i, I love i love that shit and i just find myself like flipping on a podcast and just running around this space and it's you know it's hard because it's dark souls adjacent so you know the first boss you fight is definitely like a skill check and it's kind of like a hey wake the fuck up you're playing you know a game that's inspired by what fromsoft does but after that i have found it to kind of elevate itself above I think it's it's influences or at least like the the kind of schmear I have in my head on games that are pulling from these influences in particular, because when I hear Metroidvania plus souls, like I'm immediately like, OK, I'm kind of on the back foot. But this game has really worked for me. And, I, and I've been kind of surprised by that. Uh, I think my my one big critique, my one stipulation that I would give, don't play this on the switch, at least at the moment. <laughs> um, it just honestly, it just doesn't run super well on the switch. And, and I know the developers have already been very vocal about the fact that there's a patch coming, et cetera, et cetera. But when you get into large open spaces with a lot of enemies the game like really chugs so i actually played it on switch until i hit a certain point and then uh like couldn't progress because the game was just slowing down so much and then switch over to the ps5 and just played through that bit and and then some after that and really enjoyed it but that's kind of all i have to say about the last faith at the moment i'm probably gonna play a, a bunch more of it because it, it really despite being super difficult at times uh has become a weird comfort game for me <laughs> um and and especially considering i'm like trying to catch up on some podcasts at the moment uh has been has been really wonderful for that so shout out it's, to the last faith it is weird when i mean it's not totally uncommon for games with a high difficulty to be sort of like a meditative comfort yeah. thing 
I think I think Celeste. I mean, Celeste. There are points where it is no longer comforting, but <laughs> I think that game is kind of built around the idea that like the adversity is the point, you know. And mm-hmm. because you can start over so quickly, um, I rarely get super frustrated in that game. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also like the the levels that are like pull your hair out frustrating are optional. You're doing right. that to yourself, yes. you know. Yeah. But I digress. Yeah. And that's that's I think the thing with me with the FromSoft stuff in particular and, and you know, everything in the Souls lineage is like there's either going to be the mo- and, and, you know, some of these games have worked for me and some of them haven't, to be clear. I don't love every Souls game immediately, but there are some games where I go and I fight a boss. And I'm like, absolutely the fuck not, you know, and I just put the game down and I don't come back to it for like years or ever. And then there are some times where a boss beats you and you're just like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to bring you down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that moment where like the switch activates in your head and you go from like, I'm disappointed by the fact that this game is too hard to like i'm going to overcome the game the fact that this game is too hard is is a marker that they're like really pulling it off for me i think elden ring is like miraculous and that it's able to do that in an open world setting and weirdly similarly for me with the last faith like i I find myself bumping up against that first boss and being like all right i'm gonna sit here for 45 minutes to an hour like if that's what it takes to beat this thing then i'm gonna i'm gonna take it down and i've only been playing the game for like 10 minutes at that point and i and i immediately was like thrust into that feeling which i think is the 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 sign that it's uh it's pretty good at what it's trying to do. Totally. So that's the last faith. I think if they do patch it on Switch, I'll probably continue playing it there. But for now, I'm uh, playing it on the PS5. Um, I'm sure it runs great on the Steam Deck as well. I got to redeem my code. You should redeem your code. Play it on the Steam Deck and, and let me know. Oh, I'll do that. Yeah. I'll do that tonight. The other game that I wanted to talk about uh, that yes. I think is also pulling from some very interesting influences and is not too dissimilar from The Last Faith in, in that in that regard um, is Astral Ascent. Uh, which is a game that I straight up heard about via a recommended video on YouTube that I didn't watch. <laughs> um, that said just something to the effect of like Astral Ascent is one of the best roguelites of the year. And I was like, cool, I'm in. Uh, and just like found it on Switch, downloaded it and, and just kind of went in sight unseen. And I don't. OK, my 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 like elevator pitch for this right off the top is I think it's like one of the first games to be clearly inspired by Hades and get that right. Mm, and that might be enough for some people. I do think it's worth also mentioning it is not like an isometric top down roguelite like Hades is. Uh, so from like a combat perspective, you are you are operating on literally a different plane. This is a 2D side scrolling roguelite. So it's similar or more similar to something like Dead Cells than it is Hades in that way. Mm. So if that's not your bag, you know, if, if you don't like the like jumping around kind of platforming, you know, dodging through attacks on an X axis, like maybe this isn't for you. But for me, it is working very well. But the thing that it's pulling from Hades that I'm really surprised by and it gets really right. It's just this like really intense focus on narrative and character work all wrapped in the fact that everything is voice acted and all the voice acting is so good. Like the whole the whole premise of this game is you start as a character named Isla who breaks into this like celestial kind of fantasy prison in space uh, and is trying to free all the prisoners there. The prison is guarded by 12 beings who are represented by the signs of the Zodiac. Uh, so the game I'm in yeah That's, you don't have to say anything else the game literally <laughs> starts with you being like choose your zodiac sign like what's your birthday and then after you pick that says like that's going to change your relationship with that zodiac member when, when you meet them oh cool uh, which is very interesting 
Uh, I can talk more about what that means, I think, in a bit. But you're then just kind of plopped into what is essentially like a hub zone, kind of like um, Hades throne room in Hades, where you can like go around and talk to all the NPCs and all the NPCs for the most part are like kind of offering you different things or like vendors for different ideas or can, you know, level you up in different ways here and there. And they're all just like wonderful and great and, and like fun to be around and you can learn about them and just keep talking to them and hang out with them. And that's all cool by itself. You go into a run and the run is like... It can be very long. I just streamed this game the other day and uh, one run ended up being an hour and a half, which I wasn't expecting. It was just like going very well and I made it an hour and a half in. And that run in particular, I think just like showed me so much more of what this game is capable of than I had even thought. Like I was already going to bring it to this episode. And then I was like, let me just get another like better run in before we before we record. And the run went so ridiculously well, but I just kept having these like on stream oh my god i can't believe this is also in the game moments it's just amazing how fully fleshed out this game is for such a small team this is like a game that was made via kickstarter backing for like a pretty modest sum of money and just has like some of the most amazing visuals just like very confident pixel art some incredible music as i mentioned great voice acting all of this writing is great like it just gets everything right and the combat also is pulling a lot from hades in that as you make your way through the run, when you start a run, you have four spell slots that you can use. And those four spell slots are all just kind of like a standard spell. Uh, when you're playing as Isla, you just have these things called ethereal knives, which just like throw out these kind of like kind of ghostly knives at, at an enemy. But as you continue playing the game and as you continue playing through a run, you can unlock other spells that you then replace those four spell slots with. So equate that to like finding the different boons in Hades where like mm. you go into a room and it's like, hey, do you want to like hang out with Poseidon or Zoot? You know, and just like picking which of the the kinds of attacks you want to be doing. You know, do you want to be doing electric attacks? Do you want to be doing poison attacks? Things like that. Similar here, but each of the attacks or each of the spells also kind of like move you and maneuver you throughout the world in a different way. So like some of them will be like, you're just going to zip all the way to the other side of the screen. And while you do that, you're going to like leave a laser beam of fire behind you. Or some of them were like, you're just going to stand exactly where you are and just drop meteors from the sky on the closest enemy, things like that. And then on top of that, they have this idea that's just called gambits, which are little modifiers that you can add to each of those spells. So not only are you figuring out what four spells you want to have equipped on you at any given time, leveling them up over the course of use, over the course of a run, but they each have four gambit slots that make it so you could be like, okay, I have this move where I just dropped meteors on people, but what if I also added a gambit that made it so when they fell down on the ground, they exploded in a, a toxic gas of poison specifically. So like wherever those meteors land randomly on the on the battlefield, uh, enemies who are caught up in that will just be poisoned for a little bit. Or alternatively, what if when they landed, they shot out ice spikes that pierced through multiple enemies at once. So this spell is now really good for crowd control instead of being like a spot that's just for like taking out one enemy in particular. I could take out a lot with this spell. And there's just so much customization for each of these abilities that I think it takes what Hades got right about the idea of presenting players with so much choice over the course of a run and just kind of like turns it up another notch. And and I think it is a game that is like almost and maybe it's just because I haven't played it enough, but I think it's almost past the point of like strategizing and just becomes like just give me whatever you got. Like <laughs> eventually you're just going to have a build that feels so cool and weird. Like I, I was doing, I was doing this one build uh, on stream the other day where I just kind of like ignored a lot of the upgrades except for every single upgrade that increased my chance of getting a critical hit. And then I also got another thing that made it. So every time I got a critical hit, it would then shoot a poison uh, toxic gas cloud out of my like little daggers every time I use them. So 
I was like kind of not using spells that much because I was just critting like almost every other hit <laughs> and just poisoning everything in my path. And it just got to the point where like every time I entered a room, I would just like hit the attack button a couple times and every enemy would die. And those are the kinds of moments that I live for when I'm playing roguelites. Those moments where you just feel like so empowered and like almost invincible. And then, of course, you run into a boss that just completely humbles you, which is what happened. Yeah. Like I, I in that run. I made it through a couple bosses. I made it through, I think it was uh, Sagittarius. And then I want to say Virgo. And then, drumroll, I met Gemini, which are obviously twins. Uh, and also the Zodiac sign that I chose at the beginning of the game. And I was so interested to find out what it meant, that like it was going to change my relationship with them. And they were immediately like, we know you, we can beat you. And then just like kicked my ass. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was so fast how quickly I went from... I can take on anything. There's no way I can lose. I just like one shot that last boss having just met them. I didn't know what their attack patterns were. There's no way I'm going to lose against the Gemini twins and just got like bodied. And that rocks. Like that's the kind of thing to me that I, I think speaks to like, I have a lot more to learn about this game. I have more to learn about the kinds of spells and gambits that I like. Like I like personally, not even like what's good, but like, what do I like using? And on top of that, another thing I've even mentioned, not only is this game co-op so you can play with other people, but there are also at least as far as I know, there are at least four different characters that you can play as all of whom have their own different entire spell sets that you can then unlock if you want to. And all of whom also have entirely different relationships with everybody in the hub and out in the world. So you can form different relationships with each of these characters kind of at your will. Like you don't always have to be playing as Isla. You could go switch to another character and then just kind of like make your way through there. And like maybe maybe that other character has a great relationship with Virgo, but Isla sure doesn't. But alternatively, in, in at least my run or at least the, the game that I'm playing right now, Isla's got a really close relationship with Taurus enough so that he's like yeah i'll come hang out with you and you get essentially a limit break because you and taurus are such close friends where if you use spells enough time you could just unleash taurus onto whoever you're fighting <laughs> and he just shows up with a big like sword and just does like one big kind of anime slash that does like a ridiculous amount of damage that rocks like that's what i'm talking about when i say i think it gets like the hades approach right because it almost gives me that wish fulfillment that i had when i was playing hades of like i want zag to meet all of the gods so badly like i want to i want to see those interactions that they actually have together and this idea that astral ascent is not only presenting you with the 12 zodiac signs as like physical beings who are boss battles but then does the amazing dragon ball z thing of like everyone who fights goku and loses really wants to be friends with him <laughs> like that just rocks like that it yeah. feels so so good we're a very pro piccolo podcast a just for the record absolutely yeah. we are yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I i just have been like really blown away by astral ascent it's a game that for real came out of absolutely nowhere i haven't really seen a lot of people talking about it at all but i'm, I'm just gonna sing its praises i think it's great i'm gonna play a lot of it i think before the end of the year and i kind of want to be playing it right now it's very pretty go check it out it sounds wonderful i think also going back to our conversation about difficulty i think one of the things that Hades accomplished, in my opinion, was really making failure like actually part of it. Like, I think we say that a lot about the FromSoft stuff. And I do think like when you eventually pick up what the game is putting down, I think you do come to realize like dying is part of the experience yeah. and it doesn't become as frustrating. But that's it is a tough pill to swallow and even in some moments i forget that and get very frustrated like the frost giant in elden ring <laughs> yeah forgot that dying was part of the experience i just wanted that fight to be over yes but i think with hades when you die the fact that you go back to the hall of hades and 
not only are there things to do there, but you have advanced the plot. It never really feels like you're losing progress. In fact, you're yeah. always notably gaining progress. And it's not just the ethereal, you as a player are getting better, but there's also like tangible rewards in game that will make it a little bit easier for you. And then yes. when all of a sudden, like I, I distinctly remember the first time I fought Meg in Hades and like, it's a really tough fight the first time. Mm. And not too long after that, it becomes a total afterthought, you know, until you start like ramping up the contracts and making it purposely harder, mm -hmm. like getting through the bosses are, it's just another step. And I think that's a really empowering thing just to get from a game or any piece of art really is like recognizing that what's giving you a lot of trouble right now will eventually be an afterthought. Yeah. But that's like just a cool thesis of anything. But I, th I think Hades taking that a step further and being like, not only are you feeling that, but Zagreus himself is commenting on that. Yes, like, exactly. That was yeah. really like the special sauce that just kicked that up to, to a completely other level. Right. Is like going up against the bone hydra and him being like, I'm going to start calling you Lanny. Yeah. Or you know? Lanny. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Lerny. Yeah. Yeah. Just him giving the, the bone hydra a nickname after like it kicks your ass 10 times, but then you kick its ass 10 times. Like really wonderful. And, and Astral Ascent is doing a similar thing. Like, you know, as I mentioned, yeah. with, like befriending the Zodiacs, like not only have you beaten this boss enough times that like it's kind of becoming an afterthought for Isla, but at a certain point Isla's like, we should stop doing this. We should actually hang out instead. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I definitely will check this out. It sounds very up my alley. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things about it is it, it almost sneaks up on you. Cause I, I think, I think you could start playing this game. At least I did when I first started it. I was like, this is very pretty. Like I think, I think visually and audibly it's really interesting. And I didn't fully lock into a lot of what was going on mechanically. Like I, I didn't have the kind of Eureka moment in terms of like what was really available to me but it was through the course of playing it like a bunch and dying a bunch and going into different runs and having different builds and hearing Isla comment on the different things that were happening that the game kind of slowly opens up like a flower and I was just like damn not only are they just like getting everything right I don't even know what to critique anymore outside of the fact that I think it took me a little while to get to appreciating it as much as I do. So I, th I think if, if you're the kind of person who's like a little bit on the fence about it, but end up giving it a shot, I think just like give it a little bit of time before you kind of pass judgment on it. Because at least for the first like couple runs and couple deaths, I was like, this is very pretty, but I don't know if it's like as good as I was hoping it was going to be. And I, it's really like exceeding all expectations for me at this point. And I just kind of can't believe how much stuff is in it. Like even where I'm at that run that I was talking about, that was an hour and a half. Like hypothetically that was, that was what four bosses into what I assume are 12 bosses, which means there are 12 worlds to traverse. You know, if, if you think about the different levels of hell that you're making your way through in Hades, like when, when you're trying to escape the underworld, I think what there's like four per run, right? Yeah. It's, it's Tartarus, then, uh, Asphodel, Elysium, and then sticks. Yeah. You got it. What if, uh, there were three times that per run, <laughs> like that could be a little bit daunting. Thankfully you're, yeah. you're able to just like save and quit whenever you want in the middle of a run, which is good. But I just, I just think it's like wild. If that's what, if that is what's happening in the game, that's that's I think one of the beauties of this is like I I still don't know and I don't know if I will know anytime soon, but I'm just like so excited to keep playing the game. I'm just playing as Isla currently. I haven't switched to any of the other characters yet, but I'm excited to kind of finish the game as Isla as like the default and then start to play as the other characters and see what's going on. Like I, I know the first character that you unlock uh, who I already have in, in my hub is just like hanging out. It just looks straight up like a Street Fighter dude and he fights like 
melee combat up close and personal with fists. All of his spells are like like variations on like Hadouken and, and Ken's moves, um, yeah. and things like that, which I think is really fun. And I think one of them has like guns. So like <laughs> one of them has like ranged weapons. That seems pretty cool. And I don't even know what the other person has going on, but it just seems like all four of the characters that I know of have like really, really, really different approaches to the ways in which you're uh, progressing through combat and knowing that all this different spells that they can have unlocked also change pretty dramatically based on that stuff. It feels like the best version of uh, Slay the Spire in that way, where like it's kind of amazing that the game can contain all of those different kinds of play styles and decks, right? Like as you switch from the Ironclad to the Silent, you know, and things like that, it's like it's kind of surprising that the game you know, as, as it stands can support all of those different play styles. I feel very similarly about Astral Ascent and its characters. It's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, sold. I, I don't want to take away from the spotlight here, but the whole time I'm just like, man, I'm so excited for Hades 2. <laughs> it's ridiculous that they're making that game. I can't believe that we're going to get to play that one day. Yeah, I just, I, I'm really curious if that will be like, because Supergiant, you know, every one of their games is is interested in similar ideas thematically, but yep. they're all extremely different mechanically. And I'm, I'm assuming given this is like their first direct sequel and the success of Hades, that it won't be too far away from like how Hades worked but I know there's gonna be some there's gotta be some swerve like I just you know I don't I nothing forming that opinion out of reality but I just feel like given Supergiant's record of experimentation I'm curious what change they will make that will then inspire a whole new genre of game (laughs) you know (laughs) it's gonna be a first person shooter yeah even just the idea that this time we're going into hell I think is like enough of a yeah conceptual flip that I'm curious how that even works totally yeah you know because even as narratively like when zag dies it's like it's his myth that he goes back to hell every time right you know that's like his curse in some ways or his blessing um but boon steven (laughs) anyway why don't we move on (laughs) i will be interested to see how you and i fare when that comes out in early access yeah are you gonna play in early access do you know yeah i have no idea i keep telling myself i won't but i probably will right I probably will too. I honestly, I mean, I might do what I did with Baldur's Gate 3 mm, where that's a good point. I played early access in like 2021, maybe early 2022. Yeah. And like that was still like it was very much not ready. Yeah. But even just getting an early glimpse of what that game was doing, I I remember feeling like this is going to be huge. Not that I was the first to, to, to witness that, but like even in its unfinished state, I was just like, this is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of like didn't play until it came out. I might do something similar with Hades 2 where I like get a little bit of an experience and then kind of wait for the full thing. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the right move. And honestly, it's it's interesting I'm I'm just thinking about other roguelikes that have done a similar thing in terms of like having a sequel and making it work. I feel like the two paths you can go down are like Risk of Rain to Risk of Rain 2, which like straight up is like, okay, what if this is a side scrolling roguelike to now this is a like fully 3D open space roguelike, which is like one completely left turn approach that you could take to Hades 2 that would be really wild. Alternatively, this is a little bit ironic because Hades came out at the same time as this game, but Spelunky 2 is maybe the best example of how to make this work where or Rogue Legacy 2, I think is another is another one that I, I kind of put on the similar playing field where it's like giving you everything you loved about the first one but making you feel like you're playing it for the first time again yeah i, I think the the magic trick that spelunky 2 is able to pull off for people like me who have played so much spelunky that it's like ingrained in your genome at a certain point like you're gonna pass it <laughs> on to your generations afterwards playing spelunky 2 for the first time was just like i feel exactly the way i did the first time i 
pick that game up on my PlayStation Vita, you know, and was like, I have no idea what to expect here. And if Hades 2 can pull that off, I think that's going to be miraculous. And I and I kind of hope that's the direction they go. Yeah. But I'm open to anything. Supergiant. I mean, they, they blank check, you know? Yeah, <laughs> for real. You know what game I really want to go back to that I that I liked the first time, but I feel like I want to see more of. And I I've been like seeing kind of a reevaluation for it grow is pyre yeah i feel like that is like actually pyre is my favorite super giant game like of their (laughs) library i just need them to port it to something like i just i just i just want to play that on like my switch or something that's true it is only on playstation weirdly yeah um and it feels like it would be perfect for a handheld experience but that was actually like so pyre for those who don't know took place in like you know whereas hades is rooted in greek mythology and i think they do a lot of really they balance like honoring the myth, but also like totally putting their own spin on it too. Wisely, they focus on the Chthonic gods, which, you know, there actually aren't that many myths about. Like outside of like Hades and Persephone, there's not like a ton on Hades. So they could kind of take more liberties with that. But Pyre is like, as far as I can tell, or as far as I know, is fully their own like fictional world. And it is in a very similar like afterlife purgatory state where yeah all these different people are competing in this game of like fantasy rugby for the chance to leave and like get a second chance at life mm-hmm. and apparently like i only did it once like you basically go around the map and then you choose which of your characters you want to ascend and apparently based on player feedback Supergiant found that like they wanted people to keep playing and to like see how the story played out cyclically as like more and more of the characters leave purgatory and you you kind of have to choose like who has to stay behind but few people got to that because they usually just played it once and moved on mm. so that feedback i think led to the design of hades where i think just by virtue of being a roguelite demanded to be replayed in a yeah. way that pyre kind of didn't but even still i want to see that story because i think the people who have seen it find it remarkable so i definitely want to like because i only i only again sent one character out i'm curious how it will go the longer i play yeah i i think i mentioned this on the episode where you brought up pyre for the first time but weirdly my only interaction with pyre was playing it at pax east with a mutual friend pablo and uh we only played the multiplayer like esport version of it and just got so into it and and there were two lines one line was for people playing the single player and one line is for people playing the multiplayer and when i say line i'm being very generous because there was no line for the multiplayer side and a huge line for the single player side so pablo and i just like straight up camped on that console <laughs> and just played until anyone else showed up which was like a while yeah. it was like one of the only things at pax east that didn't have a line and i was like oh we can just hang out and play the new super giant game for a while and they're making an esport fuck yeah and then i never played it when it came out which was a big mistake you should definitely play it there's a dog with a mustache i'm gonna love it i'm gonna love that game yeah, yeah i i thought like that would be like no promises but i would love to maybe like do like bring it up again or maybe even do a bonus one day like i think cool. that would be that'd be fun okay enough promises enough planning let's move on to the present and the future yeah take take your time (laughs) (laughs) okay see you later hey brendan steven i have played a new game as well (laughs) i just recently picked up persona 5 tactica this game is essentially a persona 5 tactics game which i think alone is a really exciting prospect for a a very specific fan of persona and of games in general or two very specific fans of persona (laughs) that's true like i remember when they announced this i was really excited for it but i also like 
This is, I feel like, a combination that, and maybe this is controversial to say, but I have yet to see really work. So there, there's an SMT series called Devil Survivor. Yeah. Uh, there are two of them. And those are both like, what if SMT was Fire Emblem or like a kind of grid-based mm-hmm. tactics game? And they're really good. Like, I think both those games are really solid. But for me, the pacing of the battles is so slow. Mm. And this is coming from someone who like loves turn-based combat. But just like the like rhythm of like moving, because the way it works is like, it's like all the characters and, you know, they each have like demons assigned to them you walk on the map and you choose who you are attacking but rather than just like playing out as an animation or happening it then takes you into turn-based smt combat so like it's just a little bit like i feel like there's there's one or two tweaks away from being like a winning formula i think like i really love how dense those games are like i I think there's a lot of customization with like who gets what demon all the characters have their own attacks and i appreciate that they don't like dumb down the smt-ness of it all but i just feel like for me for that to like work seamlessly it was maybe like one or two steps away from being like a perfect calculation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt the same way with those games. Yeah, I, I liked them enough, but I, I think I also am definitely at least one or two steps behind on the SMT train from you. Right. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I like that. The SMT train. <laughs> yeah, that's what the T stands for. So it's kind of like saying ATM machine. Like I don't, I don't need to be saying that. Exactly. Uh, Shin Megami train. <laughs> But I, I feel like Shin Megami Tensei 5 in particular was the one I was like, this is going to be the one for me. And then I played it for like probably 10 hours. Like I played I played a bunch of it, but like I didn't get as into it as I really wanted to. And I feel very similarly about all the spinoffs I've played as well. And Devil Survivor was, as you mentioned, like a pretty cool conceit, but it just it just didn't grab me the way I wanted it to. And yeah. I wonder if that's why I didn't check out Persona 5 Tactica this week, because I also was really excited. Like, I couldn't believe when they announced it. Like, it's just, yeah, it feels like so tailor made for you and me in particular. Yeah. It's like, what a ridiculous. And it's it's literally to me, it's in the same box as the Super Mario RPG remake. Like, it is such a bizarre thing to have made. And yet here it is. So I, I'm really excited to hear how you're feeling about it. Yeah. So I'm still pretty early on. I would say I'm like two hours in. So this is very much like a first impressions uh, section. It's also worth noting, while I think I have yet to experience SMT mesh well with tactics, and please, if you're listening right now and like screaming in the air that there's a game that I don't know of that does that, let me know, please. But all the Persona 5 spinoffs I've honestly really enjoyed. Like, I think Persona 5 has been such a massive hit for Atlas and even for Sega overall that, like, there is no end to it being, like, its own series within Persona even. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Persona 5 Strikers is a good example of what I mean. Like, that is the, like, Musou uh, spinoff with Persona 5 characters. But that game, to me, my I like tinfoil hat theory is that game was testing the waters for real-time combat in persona like mainline series like i just i wonder just how stylish and how like just the the art direction and the feeling of persona if eventually that would move in a more action game direction and smt remains the like tried and true turn-based combat i don't know like i've mentioned that before and everyone gets mad at me when i do but i just feel when i play persona 5 strikers to me that actually did feel like a winning combination like i think that worked surprisingly well and that game was really fun because canonically it doesn't really matter i i always kind of like 
treat spinoffs like this as like the straight to DVD or VHS Disney sequels where I'm like, I have lowered expectations. Yeah, like right. I'm not expecting the same highs, but like there's kind of a beauty to that though. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like three hopes. Like you, neither of us yes. expected three hopes to be even remotely yes. good. I, th- I was expecting it to be like a campy fun time that you and I would like, because we like three houses just wanted to see more of those characters. But like that game was genuinely great. Yeah, it, I, that was, I think that's probably my favorite Musou game I've played yeah. um, overall. But Persona 5 Strikers, I think, was a really pleasant surprise because it felt like a Persona game that had Musa mechanics in it and not just like a Dynasty Warriors that happened to have Joker and, and mm-hmm. Makoto and Ryuji in it. Also, there was something about it being like in the summer after they all graduated. That was kind of nice. Like it felt like a genuine reunion yeah. with these characters you love. Because I I mean, in case this is your first episode, like I am a huge Persona fan. We both are, but like I've played Persona 5 multiple times. I played Persona 5 Royal. I think short of Overwatch, that's like my most played game on like my playstation evidence list of game time (laughs) (laughs) i think it's 199 hours or something like that i'm so sorry playstation evidence list is so funny (laughs) glad it landed if you go on my playstation evidence list the most horrifying thing is that destiny 2 is number one and then number two i think is destiny and then number like four is also destiny (laughs) i don't know why it's listed twice but it's like a thousand hours it's a nightmare yeah i think i had like 300 hours in overwatch which like you know was over the course of 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 a couple years but regardless like I, I love persona and i think anyone who likes these games knows how easy it is to like you leave these games feeling like you actually made friends it sounds corny but i just think the way the games are written and the way the mechanics are kind of devoted to character like there's a point this isn't really a spoiler um but like a lot of the persona games end with basically like the player being given total freedom to just go around the setting and say goodbye to everyone and that's like weirdly like one of my favorite endings for a game it's like really bittersweet but it's it's so telling how confident the designers are that like this is the heart of the game this is why you're playing like we're gonna give you a chance to say goodbye on your own terms not just like make it a cutscene, but like Mm. you physically are taking the train to say goodbye to the dude who sold you airsoft guns (laughs) like that rules so I, I love this series and, and when a spinoff comes out, I'm just sort of like, all I really want is to like get a chance to to say hello to my old friends, you yeah. know? Oh man, sorry, sorry to cut in. I, I saw somebody in the Discord, sorry, I, I don't remember who it is. I can't, I can't shout you out specifically, but somebody in the Discord mentioned that there have been Persona 5 and Persona 5 spinoffs coming out for as long as the Nintendo Switch has been out. Isn't that wild? Yeah, it's been, uh, I guess it's been, what, five years? Because Persona 5 was 2017. Yep. So six years. That's that's so funny. And actually, one of the last 3DS games to be released in 2019 <laughs> yeah. was Persona Q2 New Cinema Labyrinth, which... I'll say this about that game. The battle theme is maybe almost as good as Last Surprise. Uh, it's really good. <laughs> So anyway, Persona 5 Tactica, I was excited for it. I, I played it for a couple hours. It's pretty good. I I, I, I think the... <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> like 10 minutes of lead up like yeah hey, hey, that's fine <laughs> i so the thing is like i, I looked at some <laughs> reviews and like people are like kind of not super into it like it hasn't mm. done like it's done okay like the reviews are sort of all over the place kind of lukewarm yeah and i think that's because i mean i think my 10 minute setup wasn't for not like i think just the pitch I think gets expectations like up here, you know, like I think it sounds like a, oh my God, why didn't they do this five years ago? Like, this is such a cool idea. Yeah. Um, and it is really well done. So like the way the tactics work, it's actually way more similar to something like XCOM or even the Mario Rabbids games. That's what I was going to say. Okay. I had no idea. Yeah. that Because I think you would you would just guess Fire Emblem. At least that's what I did was like, yeah, it's going to be like that because that's sort of what Devil Survivor was more like. But it's it's more about like it's very centered around taking cover. So uh, I guess to kind of explain the way the mechanics work, you have like a team, I think of three, at least I, I only have three characters currently. So maybe you can have more, but let's say three for now. And you can walk around freely when it's your turn, but every character has like a designated, like the squares in which you can walk. So you move your character where you want them to be. You can take cover. And if you take cover in like, you know, if there's like a box where it fully, it's full cover, you can't take damage most of the time. Um, But if it's half cover, you'll just resist damage. So you'll take half as much. There's no like percentage to hit like XCOM. So like you kind of just know definitively like, okay, I'm either going to get hit or not um, or resist. And then you, Usually what will happen is you'll shoot your gun. So, you know, everyone, the Phantom Thieves, they all have their own weapon. Uh, Morgana, the cat, has a big slingshot. Um, Joker has a pistol. Uh, So, like, you know, there'll be, like, shadows, which you're fighting. The shadows are, like, the creatures in, in the Persona series. Um, they take a variety of forms and like it, you can shoot them if they are either in half cover or out in the open. So positioning is very important where like you might want to, you know, if you want to get a clear shot, you might walk around cover and just shoot them there. Um, but that might expose you next turn. You can also use your persona and every persona has different abilities. And similar to the mainline series, if you get a crit or use something the enemy is weak to, you'll get to go again. So they keep that like go again. It's interesting how like that is, that's kind of like what makes a persona game. It's that, you know, it's that like manipulation of turn order and sort of like over the top victory. Because Similarly, you can also do the all-out attack, which I think I I really like how they've interpreted the all-out attack for this style of tactics game, where if you knock an enemy down, you can move your character to, like, you'll see this sort of prism that, like, where your other two characters are currently positioned, and you move the third, and every creature that's in that triangle gets caught in the all-out attack when you trigger it. Oh, that rocks. So, like, I think just that alone has the ingredients of being a really rich tactics game but there's a lot of other stuff going on too like if you get up to melee distance to an enemy you can just attack them and that will send them like flying in the direction you're attacking so you can kind of move enemies or like knock them into each other and all the different elemental attacks do look kind of like a different type of crowd control so like morgana has wind and that will knock enemies back you know square to um joker's magic cast just bear on them a a new character arena uh she can make them forget what they were doing so they'll just wander in random directions so i think like there's almost too much happening but i find (laughs) it to be really fun and i think like what what the biggest question i have is like who is this for because it's just Mm. like it's definitely i would not recommend it for anyone who hasn't played persona 
because I just think like it's sort of banking on the fact that you already know these characters. The story is not complex. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask like when because Persona Five Strikers takes place after like it's for all intents and purposes kind of a sequel. Yeah. When, when when does this take like is it also a sequel like what's what's the deal yeah i think at this point the persona 5 timeline is a bigger mess than like the zelda timeline is <laughs> but this is technically between second and third semester so it's like oh in the middle of persona 5 but so they you, all you get- have like all the characters like all the phantom thieves are together which is why like it's not a deal breaker but i i, I think there's a really i think the fact that like the bulk of persona 5 is assembling that team Right. Like, I think you would you should experience that first before you just get like a kind of surface level, like chibi version of the cast, you know? <laughs> right. Um, I think the art style is fun, but I think it's like it does feel like they are caricatures of the characters that we like actually know. Yeah. Which I think fits the tone of the game. You know, it's that, that works for me. I, I true. I've seen some reviews like really lament the fact that this isn't like a super rich narrative. To be honest, I really wasn't expecting one. I mean, the minute I saw the like style of presentation. I, I kind of associated with the Persona Q games, mm-hmm. which are essentially just sort of like light and fluffy. And like those games are all, all about like the characters of three, four and five all interacting. Yeah. So like I didn't really not to like discredit that point of view, because I do think I think that this game is mechanically interesting enough that if there was also a good story, it would be like a no brainer, you know? So I do think like it didn't have to be kind of like a throwaway narrative. Maybe it will pick up so far. It's been like fun, but essentially it's between second to third semester and they get sucked into an alternate dimension. That's kind of like the French revolution. And you meet actually a new character named Erina, who is kind of like this universe's Joker, where she's like the lead revolutionary and has like her own club. Oh, cool. So I was like, Oh man, are we going to meet like the AU phantom thieves? that are all just like in Les Mis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but <laughs> the plot so far has basically been like there's this villain named Lady Marie who is basically brainwashing everyone. Uh, so she she blows a kiss at all the Phantom Thieves and all of them get brainwashed except for Joker and Morgana. Um, and then they meet up with Arina. And so, so far it feels like the main incentive of the mission is like, go and rescue all our friends. Mm. So it's, it's, it's fine. Like that stuff I can kind of take or leave. I think the overall production value, like the way they've interpreted this kind of chibi art style in 3D and the animations of the attacks and the music. And honestly, like I I just think it's a really like early on I was like eh, I don't really know like it's very cutscene heavy very similar to Persona 5 like it takes a while to get going but once you're able to actually enjoy the tactics they've made here I think it is a really clever interpretation of like an XCOM filtered through Persona and I hope they keep doing it. like I kind of hope this is the beginning of like another little series within Persona because I do think it has a lot of potential to be like its own its own tactic series that people look forward to yeah I, yeah, I, I want, I'm really interested eventually fingers crossed when persona 6 finally announced and comes out <laughs> yeah we'll see if that ever happens because i mean it's worth mentioning for people who don't know persona 5 i think got announced almost a decade before it came out is that true got announced on the ps3 yeah and i think it technically came out on the ps3 in japan so it was 2016 in japan and then came out on the ps4 in 2017 wow 
and it was like one of the last it came out or came out on both and i don't think it ran very well on the ps3 but i mean the time at least the time between persona 4 and persona 5 persona 4 originally came out in 2008 yeah and and so it was eight years later <laughs> so wild yeah so i guess it has been seven years so we're kind of approaching that's that. kind of what i mean yeah. and, and I, w- I wonder like I wonder when Persona 6 eventually does come out and then if it, when they get around to whatever the royal version of that is also and make us all yeah. buy and play it a second time. I wonder if we're going to get like a Persona 6 Strikers and a Persona 6 Tactica and if they're just going to like keep those franchises going because I re- I mean I really liked Persona 5 Strikers. Like I would love to see them take another crack at that and I, I think from the sound of what you're talking about here it sounds like this is a really good proof of concept for them maybe getting it right the second time. Yeah I think so. I mean I'm excited to keep playing it like I want to see like there's there's a lot of I like how they interpret the hideouts like at the hideout you can like every character has their own skill tree so there's like a lot of customization on how you build them yeah uh, the weapons you buy uh the velvet room assistant Lavenza is wearing like a blacksmith's apron which I kind of <laughs> love steampunk Lavenza. but uh yeah it's like it, I find it to be charming and fun I think if you're expecting it to be like the beginning of something huge you might be a little bit let down but I think it's a really solid like it's a really solid experiment in my opinion opinion yeah it's on game pass it's worth mentioning that also. it is on game pass straight to game pass it's interesting to think about persona 5 being seven years old because royal came out in 2020 so it doesn't feel like it's been that long because yeah. i think royal reintroduced it to being like discussed and it is it's just a game that comes up constantly i think it's it's one of the landmark releases of this decade yeah so i, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm most interested in in terms of persona 6 is the it was either the director or the executive producer of three four and five has moved on to making a different thing for Atlas, that game metaphor. Oh fa- yeah. Fantasy or something like that. Had a wild trailer. Well, yeah, yeah. Which looks amazing. Like I, that's actually weirdly one of my most anticipated games coming from Atlas. Like I, I just can't wait to get my hands on that. It looks like really up my alley specifically, but I wonder if that means that that person is no longer working on persona six. Like, is that going to be like a new crew? Which I mean, if, if super Mario wonder is any indication of what it means when like you give somebody else the reins on a beloved franchise, like, that's exciting to me. I, I I can't wait to see what that looks like. I, I'd be down for that because I do think three, four, and five feel like an era, right? Yeah, for for Atlas in general, but for Persona too. I mean, because Persona one and two are kind of unrecognizable by comparison, <laughs> right. but three, four, and five all share like a very similar structure. And we're getting the remake of three <sighs> in February. So excited! Yeah, me too. I can't wait for the that. The only thing about that that's really bumming me out is that it's not coming to Switch. And also the lack of the female protagonist sucks, but yeah. maybe there will be a, a a reloaded royal that has her in it. <laughs> Persona 3.1 reload. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I don't want to jinx this, but like, I wonder if there's maybe like, uh, for those who don't know, like in, um, Persona 3 has a very complicated, well, the timeline of just Persona 3 releases is its, is its own Zelda timeline, but Persona 3 came out on PS2. A couple years later, Persona 3 Fez was released, which was sort of like Alice loves releasing kind of like enhanced additional content versions of their games like a year or two later. Um, And then the next version of Persona 3 was Persona 3 Portable, which was kind of like in some ways a scaled down version of Persona 3 Fez for the PSP. But notably, it added a, a second protagonist. It's the only, embarrassingly, it's the only Persona game where you can play as a woman. And I think that the the lack of that perspective, I mean, I love the series, but I just think like 
it has so commonly been held back by kind of like a male gaze point of view that I feel like it's weird that they like added that then and then never again and then had an opportunity to bring her perspective back and didn't. <laughs> but in that game, when you choose the female protagonist, it, it specifies like play this after you've already finished the game for a first time. So my like probably not going to happen, but secretly wishing for hope is that when you beat the game, that's an option. Like you have to unlock her by beating it once. That would be so wild. Right? I just feel like that's like the last glimmer of hope. It's probably not true. And I think they've even said like, oh, we're basing this off of not Persona 3 Fez, but Persona 3. So I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. But I'm hanging on to any false hope I can. Yeah. So Persona 5 Tactica <laughs> available on multiple platforms and Game Pass. Yeah, uh, that's where I'm playing it. I, I'm still very interested in playing it and I will play it. I think you would like it. I think if you liked Mario Rabbids Sparks of Hope, uh, yeah. which I didn't think I would compare Persona 5 Tactica to. I, yeah, I can't like, believe it. I That was the last thing I expected to come up. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a jump scare when you begin it and it's like, you can take cover. Like, oh my God, it's rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> Morgana is kind of like a rabbit, you know? That's true in some ways, yeah. Anyway, that's all I got for Tactica. I might bring it up again if I get further in and, and notice anything new. I, I'm having a lot of fun with it, like truly. I know I might sound a little lukewarm. I think it is worth going in, though, with like slightly lower expectations to kind of match where the game... I think the game is like notably kind of like Mario RPG. It's not taking itself super seriously. You know, it's kind of poking fun at some things, but it is a really good time. Yeah, weirdly, one of the things that's appealing to me about this game right now is like I am so deep in goatee prep mode that it almost is like freeing to check out something that is released this year that I know is like probably not going to make it to the top 10, you know, but it's still fun. Yeah. yeah. There's something like kind of, kind of beautiful about that. Um, yeah. just like, I mean, you, you and I are big fans of like the seven out of 10 video game, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. And I, uh, I, I could really go for a seven out of 10 right now. Yeah. This is not Alan Wake 2 coming out in December, just like kneeing you in the gut and yeah. forcing you to rewrite <laughs> everything. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good time. I think you'll have fun with it. Cool. Well, that's all I also got for the episode. That's all I got. That's all I got, Howie. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Into the Cast that Online is our website. It has links to everything relating to the show, our social media pages. Uh, you can review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you want to help the show out. Also, links to our Patreon and Into the Cast that Online. Our next bonus is going to be the Twilight Princess episode. Uh, I'm very excited to do that. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, I just uh, I just left a big mansion on the top of a mountain. That's a great, that's a great temple. It's an incredible section of the game. That might be one of my favorite temples in Zelda, honestly. Yeah, yeah it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it plays out like a little Pixar movie. Anyway, and uh, that's, yeah, I think that's it. Anything else we should announce here? <sighs> Don't go to the Sparrow at Secaucus Junction. Did you go there? No. Is it still there? It's been closed no, for a long time. I have no idea. <laughs> I literally just zipped through Secaucus and took a picture on the on the way through. Uh, I didn't even stop there, thankfully. For those who are curious, I feel like there's more of you than I anticipated who are curious about Secaucus that aren't from New Jersey. Uh, it's this big open waiting space, but there's just like a Dunkin' Donuts and like a convenience store. And an Irish pub. Is that still there? Yeah, that is definitely still there. I had a theory that if you went there, you turned into a statue. So yeah. I was like, I just, I, there were so That's many where Stanley Kubrick shot The Shining. Did you know that? <laughs> Wait, really? No, <laughs> no. All right. Okay. 
Bye bye. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Into the cast on online. See ya. I love when my co host lies to me at the end of an episode. Bye bye. <laughs> okay. Now that's some real tactica. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> bye bye. You can you can use that wherever you want, AJ. <laughs> PWG, the worst garbage, the online.